the Pew Bible or look it up on your phone, but turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Keep praying for, I'm not sure if it was mentioned, the uh, Jason and Barbie Shaw. Um, Jason, Lord willing, is supposed to be able to come home today. So uh, he has a long way to go, but I think he's able to come home uh, today. They're re releasing him. John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. We've started the year talking about discipleship and stewardship and what those things mean. And John 15 is um, just another great passage on the encouragement of the direction that we should go. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance to gather again at the beginning of the week to worship you. Lord, thanks for how you guide us and how you teach us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you to remove every distraction this morning, that we would just be able to focus on your word, that, Holy Spirit, you would teach us from your word, that we would abide constantly in you. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tuesday night, I was getting ready for bed, and I, Teresa uh, was downstairs, and she called and said, does that sound funny to you? And I said, what? And we went down, and the, our heater, our furnace, was starting and then stopping, and then starting, and then stopping, and starting, and then stopping. It's not what you want a furnace to do when it's cold. So thankfully there's YouTube, and I have learned last year that sometimes if your furnace is cycling like that, that you have to clean the igniter sensor, it gets dirty. And when that igniter sensor gets dirty, uh, the, the heat does not flow through it like it's supposed to. What you want your heater to do is heat. What you want your furnace to do is just give heat. You don't have to worry about it or think about it. What's the sign of a failed furnace? Is, is you freeze. 
there's no heat. And what is the sign of a struggling, failing disciple of Jesus? There's no fruitfulness. A furnace is expected to bring heat. And spiritual fruitfulness is expected from followers of Jesus. Jesus is giving one of his last statements to his disciples, and he's talking about the importance of fruitfulness. All through the New Testament, Jesus speaks about fruitfulness. Christians, disciples of Christ, are supposed to bear fruit. There's spiritual fruit. There's the fruits of the spiritual. This is what a Christian is supposed to be doing. But what causes in our own lives uh, this type of cycling, where we're just really excited about God, and then we just we're not. And then we're really excited about God, and then we're not. Or we're, we're, we're fruits building in our life, and then it's not. What, what are some of the causes of that? For us, I think it's distractions. We can easily get distracted with so many things going on. Just pick up your phone, hold your phone for a second, and you're distracted. There's all kinds of distractions. There's all kinds of deadly traps. We have a true enemy, Satan. It wants to take out Christ's followers and make them fruitless, make them fade back, deadly traps. There's just different desires. Maybe you say you desire to be fruitful, but really that's not the dominant desire of your life, and different desires are dominating over you. Or there's just diverse voices. People are telling you, no, it's time for you to, to, to don't, don't be so involved. Don't get so excited about Jesus. That's not what you're supposed to do. Eat, drink, enjoy life. There's just different voices that are constantly out there. And Jesus has very strong words to that. In John chapter verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus said all this. Jesus left no place among his followers for fruitless disciples. So if you want to be constant, if you want to be like a furnace that's just bringing out the heat regularly, if you don't want your life to just be cycling, if you want to be constant in your fruitfulness, what do you need to be clear about when it comes to abiding in Christ? And honestly, what do we need to be reminded about? What is it that we constantly need to be reminded as disciples and followers of Christ so that we can have a life that is filled with heat, a life of fruitfulness, consistent fruit as Christians? What's it that we need to be reminded of? Well, first of all, I think when we read a passage like that, it can either become like a verse where I just see those verses on Facebook and just point. Or it can be verses that seem like that just seems hard. I don't know if that's possible. But the first thing we need to be reminded of and to know is that what Jesus is describing in John 15, it, it is possible. It's possible. Hudson Taylor in the 1800s was the 
founder of the China Inland Mission. He was responsible for the advance of the gospel into the inner parts of China. Nobody ever, ever, had ever done it before and had all kinds of responsibilities, all these people coming in. And when Hudson Taylor was 37 years old, he had had a situation in his life where he just he realized anew and afresh the love of God and what abiding in Christ was, and really just from John 15, and then it grew him, and it became deeper, and it became more constant in his life, so much so that his son, Frederick Taylor, in 1932, wrote this about his dad. He said, here was a man, almost 60 years of age, and 60 years of age back in the 1800s was a man almost in his 80s or 90s today. Here was a man almost 60 years of age bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the piles of letters, any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots or serious trouble. Yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm, dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did by, any, by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it, save the scriptural expression, in God. He was in God all the time, and God in him. It was that true abiding of John chapter 15. It's possible. And what an amazing testimony by Hudson Taylor's son to see it. I think first times when we read uh, uh, the passage of John 15, we need to see that what we are called to do as followers of Christ is to bear fruit. Jesus takes it very seriously. We need to be reminded of it. It's possible that it is able to done. Here, here's the context. Jesus is on his last conversation with his disciples before he goes to the cross. They may have had the Last Supper together, they ate together, they may have gotten up and started to walk around because they end up on a mountaintop in the garden, and as they were walking, Jesus sees vines. There's vines all over Jerusalem. So he's walking and he's talking and he's telling them the last things he wants them to know, the last things that he wants to share with them before his crucifixion. And what he tells them is, I want you to bear fruit because he knows that he's going to be leaving them shortly. And it's his disciples that he's talking to. Judas is already gone. These, these are the 11. These are, these are their, his disciples that he's sharing this with. And he gives this metaphor of the vine. And he says to them, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to be about. I want you to be abiding in me. I want you to have fruitful spiritual lives. And if you want a life of spiritual fruitfulness, what are some things that we have to be clear about? If you want a life that's spiritually fruitful, what you must be clear about is your connection. This is a very serious warning that Jesus gives. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
What, what is true about a vine and this metaphor is in, in, in the grapes and everything that it produces? That for, for those vines and the branches to have any fruit on them, they have to be connected to the vine. There, there has to be a real relationship. There has to be a real connection. There has to be real faith. And there is a serious delusion in uh, the Western culture, in our culture, maybe even in, this, in our church, of people who say, I love Jesus, but there's really no fruit in your life. And you say, well, that's okay. Because I can say I love Jesus and have no fruit, and I'm good because I've done some things, I said some prayers, I show up, I've, I've, I've served, I've taken some trips, I've served in some areas. And the reality could be, and Scripture says, there would be many that Jesus will say to you and to them, depart from me, I never knew you. John 15 is Jesus' plea not to let that be you. But what we need to have in our lives is a serious connection. And there is a serious delusion sometimes also that comes across parents and different people who you say, you know, I brought my child to church and there's, they, they said some prayer and now they're in their mid-20s, mid-30s, mid-40s, mid-50s and they don't desire God, they don't talk about God, they show up for Christmas and Easter when I ask them to come. But it's okay, because they asked Jesus into their heart, and it's fine. Jesus would say, without any fruit, there is no faith. There's no connection. And what would maybe wake you up, and maybe for some of you, what would make you wake up your fruitfulness is realizing to say, hey, my, 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 my child, he's got a good heart, though. The question isn't, does a person have a good heart? The question is, does a person have a new heart? Has their heart of stone been, been turned to a heart of flesh? Is there a real heart? There are some really, really nice people who don't know Jesus and who are separated from the vine. And the serious warning that Jesus gives is to take it as a serious warning for us and to take it as a serious, don't get delusioned. We, we can't judge a person's life, but if there is no fruit and sometimes there, there's just no fruit, the response is not to say, well, it's just going to be okay. The response is parents and grandparents is to pray, to pray that the Holy Spirit would wake them up. There is a connection that has to be taken place. And there is a serious devastation of just self-sufficiency. That people say, well, I, I can just do this on my own. I don't need to trust in Christ alone. There's a way I can do this on my own or in a way I can earn God's favor. And Jesus says, it's not, it's not that way. It is in me. You have to be connected to the vine. Romans chapter 3, when, Paul, when Romans chapter 9 was Paul... The apostle was trying to think of the worst possible scenario when he was pleading with the nation of Israel, the people of the Jews, to, to come to faith and believe in Jesus Christ alone. What he says is, in Romans chapter 9, that he would wish to be cut off from Christ if they would accept Christ. 
So that was the, the worst thing he could think of was to be to be cut off from the vine. To have no connection to him would be the worst possible thing. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's a serious consideration that needs to be taken place. Are, is there a connection truly with Jesus Christ in your life? Because Jesus said this because he's a very serious Savior. He loves you. He came to earth for you. He gave his life on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so you don't have to earn it. It's all by free grace, by seeing Jesus and trusting in him alone and just believing that his death on the cross and his resurrection is for you. Jesus says, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. Jesus is a very serious Savior. And we call to you, be connected. Are you connected? Have you seen Jesus for who he is and say, yes, I want that. That's the connection that I mean. Without that connection, there is no real fruit. Jesus says you have to be rightly attached to bear fruit. But if you're rightly attached to bear fruit, then he says, remain in me, abide in me, stay in me. And we need not only the right connection, we need some good clarification. What does it mean then to abide, to remain, to stay? How is this fruit that Jesus is talking about produced in it, in us? How's the fruit of spirit of the spirit produced in us? How's this fruits of Christian stewardship produced in us? What does it mean? How is it that we can stand before God someday and He's going to say to you, "Well done, good and faithful servant." How is it done? What's the clarification? Jesus said it in verse one: "I am the vine, true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." And when Jesus said he's the true vine, he's saying in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of references to the nation of Israel being a vine. And they grew, but they didn't grow correctly. They didn't follow through all that God called them to do, but then Jesus came and he followed through. He, he abided abode with his father perfectly. He did everything his father asked of him. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true representation of everything that God would have for us. God's plan, then, is to produce fruit in your life. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. How does God make our lives fruitful? He does it by letting, by, by the Father, God the Father being the gardener. This is, this, God's the gardener. God's the, the, the vine dresser. He's the one that's doing this work. It's, it's God working in us. And then how does God working in us? He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He says, And the, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. 
So what does the gardener do? What does God do? How is he developing fruit in your life? One of the ways God is developing fruit in your life is he is planting you intentionally. He has put you in the place in your life, wherever you are, intentionally. It's, there's, there's no accidents about it. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says this. God says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. What that means is that there, there is no accident for where you were born, for where you live, for the time frame when you live, for, for who you know, what you've experienced. God the gardener planted you there intentionally. There is no accidents to your life. All that you've experienced is for God to, this gardener, to create in you fruit to bring him glory. So I don't really like that. So some things in my life that I don't really care for. This just this doesn't seem right, that God would allow that. Listen, nothing. God has allowed things that he hates in all of our lives, so he can accomplish in us what he loves. But it's God who plants us, and he plants you intentionally. And so you might get in a situation, I just want out. I want want to get out of here as quickly as I can. And the reality is, maybe God is planting you there. The good gardener puts you there intentionally, and it's not by accident Not only does he plant us intentionally, he prunes us immensely, it says. The gardener comes, and the the branches that are bearing fruit, he doesn't just look at them and say, oh, good. It says, a good gardener. They, they, They come to the vines that are bearing fruit, and he takes out his knife, and he cuts them. And it For us, hurts. The Bible says this in Hebrews, that God chastens his children. He he, he loves us. He he cuts us. Not so that we cannot bear fruit, but he prunes us so it says so that we can bear more fruit. And he just does this immensely. This is how it's described. He, He just keeps pruning you, and he keeps cutting us, and he's trying to form us and to shape us into the person of Jesus Christ, which is why we need to be very careful when we say, well, I will never do that. I'll never do this, because God hears that, and he says, oh, really? You'll never do that? Because I'm going to make something out of you, or I have to have this. God says, really? You have to have that? Not to hurt us, but to help us. Romans chapter 5 says this so well, but we've heard these verses so much that we can run past them. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, not only that, but but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoicing in suffering, because God plants you intentionally, and then he prunes us immensely. Years ago, I felt this came from God for me, and it's sustained me a long time. It was just this idea just to to go where God has planned for you, grow where God has planted you, and give praise forever God propels you. That phrase has sustained me in some deep times of wanting to unplant and deep times of cutting Because God's the gardener. He's the one that guides and directs our lives. And as that, he's producing through us. This is how he does it. He he produces through us. Jesus says he is the source. I am the vine, you're the, the branches. Jesus is the one that gives us the ability to do all those things, to keep staying in our place, to keep allowed to being pruned. Because Jesus is producing through us. We are the structure that God's using to keep fulfilling the what God has for Christ through his kingdom. You say, well, I I just doubt this. Because I've really been hurt in many ways, and I've had all kinds of struggles in the places I've been, and God's taken things from me, things that I've wanted. I would just say this. Doubt's a real thing. And doubt is okay. Read the book of Psalms. David would say, how long, O Lord, are you going to keep me in this situation? Doubt is one thing. And doubt can have its moments. But don't build a monument to doubt. If you're in a situation and you look at your life and you say, I can't figure out what God's doing. Why did he plant me here? Why did he take this away from me? Why isn't he giving me this? Why isn't this? Why isn't this? God just doesn't love me. He's not really working. That's not the response. That that may be for a moment. Read Lamentations. Read the book of Psalms. But don't make that the monument of your life. Don't set up a monument to that doubt. You'll never get past it. You can doubt in your moments, but don't set up monuments to doubt and say, well, this happened here, so I can never go back. I can never trust God. And you just keep building that monument of doubt. Don't do that, because God knows that we are like dust. He knows our frame. Elijah suffered with great depression after great success. Moses disobeyed God after having great Success, David, Naomi, Mary, and Peter. All of them. All these people fruitful for God. They had moments of doubt and it cost them and it hurt them, but they didn't set up monuments to it. As a matter of fact, Peter in John chapter 13, when Jesus came to them and Peter was just always up going after things and Jesus is going to whitewash Peter's feet and Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, you can have none of me. And Peter says, then wash all of me. And Peter says, and Jesus said to Peter, you're clean already. And the same true for us. There are moments of doubt, but if you are connected to Jesus 
and you know it, and you can sense it, you feel it, you can see the evidences in your life. And John 15, 3 is for you, already you are clean because of the word. Jesus is our source, he's our life structure, and we are, we're the structure that he wants to demonstrate his love. John 13, 5 says, by this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how God, the gardener, works in our lives. He plants us a place, he prunes us in that place, and all along, we may have no idea what he's doing. We may not like any of it, but if we stay in Christ abiding, he's going to give us a rejoicing, he's going to give us a love, he's going to give us a joy, and he's going to be producing through us fruit that will remain. And for that to be true, there are some commitments that we have that we need to be made. Verse 5 says, apart from me, abide in me, and I in you. It's apart from me, you can do nothing. We want to be able to feel like we can do something. We want to figure it out. We want to make it happen. And ultimately, Jesus says, no, just abide in me. What Jesus is calling for you and for me is just to surrender. Just surrender and say, this is my life. Do with it what you want. Take all of it. There's a surrender to abide, and then there's this soaking in his word. It says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you want to know the love of God like Hudson Taylor, if you want to sense it in the difficult times, if you want, to, if you want just to be abiding in Jesus where the, the love of Jesus is flowing through you, you got to surrender your life and you got to soak in God's word. you got to hear from God. It's got to be more than your... Uh, scrolling to see if anybody posted a verse that you might like that day. It's soaking in the Word of God. It's reading the Bible. It's hearing what God has to say and letting it transform your mind and how you think and transform your heart. D.A. Carson said it this way, such words, the words of Scripture, the words of the Bible. I mean, some of you had a love for God when you were in college you wish you could have again. And the only thing that's changed, or some of it in your 30s or your 40s, and you wonder, what's changed? Well, why isn't it, well, where is the, that, that same passion for God? Check how much time you're spending in His Word. That's what's changed. Soak in God's Word. D.A. Carson said, such words must so lodge in the disciples' mind and heart that conformity to Christ, obedience to Christ, is the most natural thing in the world. If you look at your life from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, before the smartphones, what soaked, what was lodged in your mind? What's pushed out the Word of God? The, the commitment we need to make is a surrendering and a soaking in God's Word. And verse 7 says, there's this, this seeking of heaven. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. There, there's this seeking of God in prayer. 
We've surrendered. We're soaking in God's word. And then we're just seeking and asking. And what's going to happen when we pray that way? We, we will not maybe get what we want, but we will be so changed that we will be starting to pray in ways that we're praying what God wants. And we're like, yes, that's what I really want. This is what I really want to be a part of my life. And God will change us in that way. But you have to set yourself then before God. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I watched the testimony. I posted it yesterday, I think on Saturday email. This 34-year-old couple who grew up in Pakistan, in Russia, totally apart from God. God brought them together miraculously. There's less than 5,000 Christians in the area, this whole massive country where they live. They met randomly at a bus stop when they were teenagers. Two Christians. A country of millions of people. God placed them there on purpose. He, he planted them there. And then he's been pruning their lives. And now they have this ministry that is sending young people all across Central Asia for the gospel. And God's producing great things in them because they said, we want to surrender our lives to Jesus. We want to soak in his word. We want to seek him in prayer. And we're just going to set everything before him. All our pasts, and they have a horrific past. We're just going to give it all over to God and he can do what he wants with it. When's the last time you just did that? You just took your life and you said what it says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. What do you think God's going to do if you pray that? He's going to lead you in the way of everlasting. He's going to love you and say, yeah, let me help you here. This is where you've gone off. Let me get you back. Let me see you're constantly sending out spiritual heat and fruit. All those things come down to a choice. I asked some people this week, I sent out uh, a text to a number of people, say, hey, I'm preaching on John 15, and when you hear the phrase, uh, what's, when, you, when you think of the idea of abiding in Christ, what comes to mind? And I had some great responses, and then somebody said, well, when I think of the phrase of what, of what comes to mind when I think of abiding in Christ, and when the situations of life come up, it, says, it reminds me to, to say, act like you've been there before. I thought that was great. Abiding in Christ is a sense of saying, I'm going to make this choice. Yeah, that's where I want to be. I want to abide in Him. It, it's a choice. In the 1700s, there was a woman named Madame Guillaume who wrote a book called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor was a highly influenced by it, John Wesley, many of the great missionaries of the past and Christian leaders. When she wrote this book about experiencing the depths of Jesus and how do you abide in Christ, even back then, people had this idea to be that kind of Christian, you got to be some kind of super saint. You got to have everything all together. Everything's got to be just, you know, you have no distractions, no problems. And in that book, she said, that's not true. Abiding in Christ is the invitation that Jesus gives to all his followers because he loves us. He gives it to all who will come. 
and he invites everyone to come, and he, she said it this way. If you are thirsty, come to the living waters. Do not waste your precious time digging wells that have no water in them. If you are starving and can find nothing to satisfy your hunger, then come. Come and you will be filled. You who are poor, come. You who are afflicted, come. You who are weighed down with your load of wretchedness and load of pain, come. You'll be comforted. You who are sick and need a physician, come. Don't hesitate because of you have diseases. Come to your Lord, show him all your diseases, and they will be healed. Come. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to people that want to abide in him. He just says, come. Come with it all. And we can do it, and we can trust in him because he has great love for us. He's a good, good father. Let's pray. This morning, I just want to ask one question as your head bowed and eye closed. If your Christian life is a furnace, is it being a consistent flame of abiding in Christ? Or is it cycling? And if it's cycling, this morning, just come to God. Put your life before him. And let Psalm 139, let him search you and ask him to help you again. Be abiding consistently, joyfully, lovingly with him.